0: Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Stephen Kiley. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. I think it's important tonight that we all really uh, tune in. Tune into what God would say. I feel I've got something that um, sort of came first class male. And I almost feel like John when he said, let let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Matter of fact, uh, up in the booth tonight, I only added one scripture and it's the first one. I'm starting in Revelation, the second chapter. And God's so willing, maybe we'll stick more to my notes, but I can't even promise that. It's kind of funny when you, God lays something on your heart that oftentimes you never get the final peace until you come to Church. And you wonder where it all fits in, and then the Lord says, here's the, fat, the last piece, and this is where it fits into the puzzle. And I want to read this, and then I'm going to, we're going to sing a, a chorus together, and then we're going to get into the, the word. John is writing the words that the Lord has told him to write. And he's writing to a church that's been in existence for roughly 40 years, the church of Ephesus. It's only about 70 miles from where he is on the Isle of Patmos. And I want you to hear what the Lord says to this church. And unto the angel of the church of Ephesus, verse 1, write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou cannot bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars and has borne, and has patience for my name's sake, has labored, and has not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Notice these words. Up to this point, you would think that this is the ideal church. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. The commendation is that they've labored, they've had patience, they fought for the name of Christ, they've not born with false doctrines, but God says even after 40 years, if you leave your first love, even if you're doing all the things that I've commanded you to do, I will remove your candlestick. Out of its place, which means your church will cease to exist. Should to think about that for a little bit. Got the truth. Got the doctrine. We've labored. We've been patient. But the one thing that God wanted, they didn't have. And that was their first love. Because if you're doing what you're doing tonight, just in obedience to the word of God and to escape the tribulation period and to go up into heaven, it may not be enough. Because God wants your first love not your second he doesn't want to be your third love go back and do those first works brother kylie the first works my first love i th- i thought about that today actually when we talked about it at the regency i'd read the scripture in our study in revelation my first love was accompanied by works just like it is now but the the thing in the latter church was i did it with exuberancy and compassion and because i loved god you see the difference there's a difference between doing it because of compulsion and be, and doing it because you love to do it i loved being in church I loved it when the preacher preached it hard. I loved it when they called a work day or they did something. I loved my, I loved working for God. But in the latter church, in the Ephesus Church at least, after 40 years, things had calmed down, things had sort of started, to lose their steam and the heat was no longer there and God says it isn't enough I won't accept a lukewarm church let's as we sing this next song maybe you can ask God to open up your heart and talk ask him to talk to you tonight and don't worry about your neighbor He'll talk to him for you. Ask him to talk to you.
1: We bound i mm-hmm.
0: I worship you tonight Lord we wait on you not wanting to rush along and maybe miss something Lord that you've set before us you said in your word that people in the last days would have eyes to see but they would not see and ears to hear but they would not hear let that not be said about our church this church Lord Let our eyes see, let our ears hear, let our mouth proclaim. I worship you, Jesus, today, Lord. Let's lift our hands and worship you. Praise God. Do you want to hear the word tonight? Do you want the truth? Without fear in our favor. Praise God. you may be seated. I when I put this together, I shouldn't say put it together, when I thought on this, I thought, Lord, where is the where is the good? Where is the flower in the midst of the garden? But the Lord says that in the last days that the, the leaders of His church should admonish the church, to encourage the church, preach the, to the church, because evil seducers would wax worse and worse, And that unless those days would be shortened, that it would be very difficult for even the elect to be saved, we're living in the end times. And so when I talk about the person tonight that I'm talking about in Scripture, it's not a happy ending. It's not a happy story. I don't know about you, but if I were to watch a movie or something like that, I always want the good guy to win or the guy to get the girl and ride off into the sunset on their horseback. And if it never happens that way, I just say, well, why did I ever even watch this? Or why did I even read this? I just... Feel bad now, but tonight is one of those nights where I can't leave you with this gentleman on a good note. This man has wrote a number of books in our Bible, numbers of verses. We quote from his writings and we use his verses at weddings, but he himself has entered into eternity lost. And I often, I ask the Lord the question, why would you allow someone to write as many books as this person wrote? And then he himself went unto eternity lost and separated from God. And you know who I'm talking about. Solomon. I want to read some verses here tonight, and I'm reading from 1 Kings the 11th chapter, and maybe you'll see where I'm at. Uh, and see why I'm saying what I'm saying when I'm through tonight I want to show you I'm starting from the end first I always, my wife always gets upset with me when I'm reading the newspaper I always go to the last page first and go to the front if I pick up a magazine I always go to the back I don't know what it is but I'm starting back to front 1 Kings 11, verse 26. This is near the end of Solomon's ministry. Also Jeroboam, son of Nebat, rebelled against the king. He was one of Solomon's officials, an Ephraimite from and His mother was a widow named Zerah. Here is the account of how he rebelled against the king. Solomon had built the terraces and had filled in the gap in the wall of the city of David his father. Now Jeroboam was a man of standing, and when Solomon saw how well the young man did his work, he put him in charge of the whole labor force of the tribes of Joseph. About that time, Jeroboam was going out of Jerusalem, and Anijah, the prophet of Shiloh, met him on the way wearing a new cloak. The two of them were alone out in the country. And Ahijah t- took hold of the new cloak he was wearing, and he tore it into 12 pieces. Then he said to Jeroboam, Take 10 pieces for yourself, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. See, I am going to tear the kingdom out of Solomon's hand and give you 10 tribes. But for the sake of my the kingdom... For the sake of my servant David and the city of Jerusalem, which I have chosen, out of all the tribes of Israel, he will have one tribe. I will do this because they have forsaken me and worshipped Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, Shemosh, the god of the Moabites, and Molech, the god of the Ammonites, And have not walked in obedience to me, nor done what is right in mine eyes, nor kept my decrees and laws as David, Solomon's father, did. But I will not take the whole kingdom out of Solomon's hand. I have made him ruler all the days of his life for the sake of David, my servant, whom I chose and who obeyed my commands and decrees." I will take the kingdom from his son's hands and give you ten tribes. I will give one tribe to his son so that David, my servant, may always have a lamp before me in Jerusalem, the city where I choose to put my name. However, as for you, I will take you, and you will rule over all that your heart desires. You will be king over Israel. If you do whatever I command you and walk in obedience to me and do what is right in my eyes by obeying my decrees and commands, as David my servant did, I will be with you. I will build you a dynasty as enduring as the one I built for David and will give Israel to you. I will humble David's descendants because of this. But not forever. Solomon tried to kill Jeroboam, but Jeroboam fled to Egypt to Shishak, the king, and stayed there until Solomon's death. As for the other events of Solomon's reign, all he did and the wisdom he displayed are they not written in the book of the Annals of Solomon? Solomon reigned in Jerusalem. Over all Israel, 40 years, then he rested with his ancestors and was buried in the city of David, his father. And Rehoboam, his son, succeeded him as king. Now, I want to tell you something when you enlisted in the Lord's army, you enlisted in a warfare that was quite different than any that you've probably ever experienced in life. Because the weapons of our warfare were not going to be material things or carnal things, but they were going to be spiritual things. We were going to be battling spirits and dominions and powers that we could not see. When Solomon became king, much like Saul, God had chosen him. God granted him things that uh, would be a blessing to Israel as well as to his own kingdom. Twice in Solomon's ministry, he had a confrontation, not a confrontation, had a divine meeting with God. And God spoke with him. Out of all of those that we look at in Scripture, Solomon's apostasy is probably the strongest, even more so than Saul and some of the other ones. If you... When you enter into the kingdom of God you need to be on guard for if a man is wise as Solomon and one is blessed as Solomon can fall how much more can you I read in 1 Kings the 3rd chapter verse 9 how the tender heart of Solomon was turned towards God in the beginning of his reign. It says, So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? We find that God actually gave him much more than that. For God said to him, verse 11, Since you have asked for this, and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment and administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never, will never have been anyone like you nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for both riches and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among king, kings. And that was God's promise. And that's exactly what God did. King Solomon was greater in riches and wisdom. Than any other king on the face of the earth. 1 Kings, the 10th chapter, tells me in verse 23 and 24 that the whole world sought audience with Solomon to hear the wisdom that he had, that God had put in his heart. Now, this outstanding characteristic of Solomon was his wisdom. That was the thing that the Queen of Sheba came to see. Never. Had she heard of a man so wise, and she came to see him, and remember, she said, the half has not been told. But his wisdom was not an earthly wisdom. It was a godly wisdom. God gave him godly wisdom. He never went to school. He never went to college. God gave him divine wisdom, things that he never had to learn. He got it directly from God. As opposed to the unspiritual wisdom mentioned in Scripture that comes from the devil. See, the devil always duplicates, doesn't he? Because if I went to the James, the third chapter, when we're talking about the godly wisdom of Solomon in the beginning, James writes these words in verse 14 to 17. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial, and sincere. Just as there was divine wisdom the devil imparts his own ungodly, evil wisdom. And oftentimes he tries to slip it into the church where people feel that they're so wise. But how foolish they are for the wisdom that they've acquired is not of God, but of Satan himself. And you can tell by the, the, by the fruits that it bears, insubordination, inconsiderate, lack of compassion, no good fruit, not impartial, insincere. I think we've all met someone along our way in life and our walk for God that they were so smart, so intelligent, and they could quote the scriptures. But when it came to the fruits of the Spirit and and the evidence of God's wisdom in their lives, you found these things evident. And you wondered how they could be so smart and so unholy. There can be no doubt at all that Solomon once had a powerful and a godly influence on his kingdom for many years since people since the bible says people sought him from around the world his impact upon the known world at his time must have been staggering staggering multitudes heard the truth from him i'm reading the chronological bible and that's probably why i'm preaching on solomon because i'm in proverbs And I'm amazed at how he talks about wisdom in the beginning of the Proverbs and how people flee godly wisdom or the wisdom of God and and it says that God will laugh at their calamity when they reject his wisdom. God also uniquely had him build a beautiful temple for him probably one of the greatest structures ever built by man on the face of the earth. When you read about the craftsmanship and the expense that went into the building of the temple of Solomon, it's astounding. It goes beyond imagination. And then you take into consideration the number of books and verses that he wrote that were incorporated into the Bible that we have. But all of his good and godly achievements didn't cancel out what he did at the end of his life. What was his sin? Idolatry. You see, Solomon promoted both true worship to the true God and also at the end, at the same time, false worship to pagan gods. He built the temple, but then the Bible says he also built pagan places of sacrifice and worship for his wives. And he himself participated. All of this happened after he also saw the true God of Israel twice. His manifestation. Well, let me ask you the question, this question. What happened to this influential giant? How could someone so wise, someone so powerful, and someone so blessed of God turn out so bad? How did it all get away from him? How did his life for God fall? It's easy. It's easy to see. He did not guard himself closely enough from the temptations that Satan presented to him. I go to 1 Kings, the 11th chapter, verse 1 and 2. King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter. Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites. They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. God's. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. The consequences of this were serious and lethal. They led to Solomon's falling away from God. Verse 4, as Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God, as the heart of David, his father, had been. We have looked at, um, in our study of Revelation recently, the doctrine of the Nicolaitans and the doctrine of Balaam. And I see how Satan has manipulated things in not only our lifetime but in Solomon's lifetime to cause God's elect to turn away from their first love and to compromise on their commitment to God and actually be part of two systems. And that's exactly what Solomon was doing. He was worshiping idols and he was worshiping God. How, you say, how can you do that? Well, it's simple if you get lukewarm. I look at the doctrine of Balaam. Balaam's plan was to have the beautiful women of, of Moab entice the children of Israel to worship idols and to commit fornication. And in the book of Revelation, God condemns the doctrine of the Nicolaitans as well as the doctrine of, of Balaam. Do you believe, this is a question, the devil can? Did you know the devil can and will promote a type of love that will kill you spiritually if possible? Is it possible that he can do that? When we do marriage counseling, um, and I can speak for Brother Kylie and I can speak for all of our pastors. And then UPC is, we will not marry an unbeliever with a believer. We will marry two unbelievers, but we will not marry a believer to an unbeliever. And the reason for that is, not that we're mean, it's just that the unbeliever will draw the believer away. And how many times have we sat in our offices and heard someone say, well, I'm going to win him to the Lord. yeah, uh-huh, tell me how that works out for you, but I'm not doing the wedding. Because in most cases, like in Solomon's case, the marriages that he participated in, that he, that he got involved in, his wives drew him away from God. Solomon is clear proof of that. his wives or his own family became his worst enemy. It tells how Solomon held fast to his wife's love, his wife's love, when he should have stood his ground against their wickedness or never even entered into the the unions that he did. He could have said, As much as I love you, I love the true God more. If I have to offend or anger someone, dear, I'd rather upset you. I am not and will never help you commit idolatry. I'm going to remain faithful to my God regardless of what happens. Those are the words that he should have spoke. Unfortunately, he held fast to sin. Even after God expressed his anger and disapproval. The sad part is, this all happened decades after decades of faithful service. You know, it's sad, and we, when we get older, some of you that have served God for a number of years 20, 30 years, 40 years. You're not home yet. And all the past good that you've done and all the wisdom that you've shelled out doesn't mean anything unless you make it all the way to the gates. After all Solomon did, it didn't avail him anything. And then we ask ourselves tonight the hard question. In relationship to where I was 35 years ago, I'm speaking to myself, where am I spiritually in relationship to where I was then? Now I can say that I've acquired a lot of wisdom, and that may be debated by some, especially my wife, who can't be here to defend herself but where am I spiritually in relationship to where I was then? You can always tell when someone isn't where they should be because they always refer to what was. They always use past examples to exhibit the way that God God was moving in their lives. We need to have the present first love of God active in our lives, even though the body doesn't want to cooperate as much as it did 35 years ago. How do, we, how do we get back there? If a righteous, Ezekiel 33, if a righteous man, verse 18, turns from his righteousness and does evil, he will die for it. And if a wicked man turns away from his wickedness, and does what is just and right, he will live by doing so. It goes back to what we read in the beginning of our message tonight, of how the Lord commanded the church of Ephesus to get back to where it was when it first started. Get the church back to where it was when you first open the doors, and of course they were meeting in homes back then, more than likely. Because it doesn't matter how the programs work or how good you know the law or the word, without that love, that first love, the marriage, isn't what it should be. Verse Kings 11.5, Solomon's apostasy led him to follow both female and male pagan gods. Remember what we read in verse 5? He followed Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians and Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. He followed them. I wonder if he were here tonight and I were to ask him to explain how it happened, what he would say. He'd probably tell us tonight that it just sort of snuck up on him. If we go back to verse 6: so Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely as David, his father, had done. On a hill east of Jerusalem, Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the detestable god of Moab, and for Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. He did the same for all his foreign wives who burned incense and offered sacrifices to their gods. doesn't say how many high places there were. I used to look at Jeroboam as a real scumbag. And he was. (laughs) But really, he inherited what Solomon left him. When you stop to think about it, remember after the death of Solomon, Rehoboam was his son, and he ended up, like like the prophets said, with only one tribe, Judah, Judah. And Jeroboam ended up with the other 10. Now, some of you are saying 10 plus 1 is 11. I thought there were 12 tribes. What's the 12th tribe? Levi. Don't count the 12th tribe. So, Jeroboam, and he even had an opportunity to turn it around. But Jeroboam, because the machine was already in place and idolatry was so being grafted into Israel, he himself couldn't pull it out. And he finally surrendered to the force, to the force. And it takes us back to 1 Kings 11 where we started. So I guess in sort of wrapping this up tonight, if someone as strong and as wise as a Solomon can be tempted by Satan to do that which is wrong, how much more should we be on guard? And I'll close with this. And I, I, thought of, I thought of Saul. What a perfect opportunity for Saul to become king of Israel. The first king. Wow. God chose him out of the stuff. Why did he choose him? Because of his heart. Not so much his size, but because the size of his heart and his humility. But when Solomon was placed or Saul was placed in a position of authority, where he didn't need to answer to anybody else but himself, he became wise in his own eyes. Professing himself to be wise, he became as a fool. I can show you that because when Remember the thing that caused him to be separated from God was when he offered that sacrifice? Do you remember the reason he told Samuel why he offered the sacrifice that was forbidden for him to do? Because the enemy was there and they were gathered and there was sacrifice had not yet been made. And I decided in my wisdom to offer the sacrifice so that we could go out against our enemies, the Philistines, I believe it was, Was that wise? Where did he get that wisdom from? Godly wisdom would have said, you better wait for Samuel. Because if you make God mad, who's going to fight for you? When you think that you can do it your own way, and that you've got all this wisdom that you really don't need a pastor, and you really don't need teachers, and you can pick up a book someplace, and you can study from home and you really don't need a church. Where are you getting that wisdom from? Who's giving you that wisdom? It's not God. Because godly wisdom says that you should gather yourselves all the more. Because the preaching of the word in a place like this tonight is accompanied by an anointing that cannot be exactly duplicated. Well, you know, I've heard people say, well, I felt anointed when I've listened to a tape. or, Yeah. Yeah, I have too. And I've cried too. But there's something when the body's together, when the body is fitly framed together, that is completely different than when it's descended, distended out. Where's the wisdom in skipping a service? Where's the wisdom in that? Are you so strong that you don't think that you need to come? Who told you that? If Solomon, after all those years, couldn't make it to the end, I don't know about you but I don't think I'll be running through the gates of heaven. I'm going to be walking and there's going to be there's going to be adversity. But my walk for God has got to be one step in front of the other and I don't want to give the devil one opportunity to wound me. That's why you're important because you've got my back. you've got my back and when I when I'm discouraged we've all been there when you're sick and you feel like you just can't go on and your brother's touch or your sister's touch comes on your shoulder or around your waist there's an there's an influx of healing An anointing. Don't listen to the devil's wisdom. Let's stand together tonight. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast.